Good morning. I am so happy you remembered it was 10 o'clock today. Because if you had shown up earlier, I would not have been here. If you showed up later, you might have missed this moment. Okay. Before I start into the sermon, I want to express a thanks again, as always, to Father West. Uh, he's always so kind to offer his pulpit and share it. And from the perspective of the vicar of the church, he literally has to guard this area because this is the area where the preaching of the word is to be expressed. So I appreciate his confidence in sharing this with me and allowing me to come to share with you, hopefully and prayerfully, the word of God. Would you pray for me? Let's pray. Almighty and loving God, as we pause for a moment to break forth the bread of life, we have listened to scripture verses that inspire us, motivate us, move us, and challenge us. Through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, may you now take your holy word and plant the seeds of faith within each person at this time. And may you use the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, and may everything be pleasing and acceptable unto you, O Lord, our God and our Redeemer. In Christ's name, amen. Question for you, did any of you ever played Little League Baseball? You did? What position did you play? Oh, you're better than I am. Uh, okay. Um, you're going to understand this story very well, okay? So if I say something wrong, will you help me? Okay. We got a team already. Uh, I might want to coach him. I like his attitude. Um, from my hometown, we had, in the summer, Little League Baseball. And it was one of the most exciting times of the year for me because I love sports. I was raised in a sports family. I still play sports today, even at my demise, as some of you well know. Um, and just thoroughly enjoyed it. The problem was, in Little League Baseball, it was the 8-year-olds, the 9-year-olds, and the 10-year-olds. So you had to try out, and I tried out as an eight-year-old, and I was incredibly skinny and small. And I looked around, and all the other guys were larger and bigger than I was. I had one advantage. I think I was a little faster. So the coaches elected for me to be on their team, and that was a paramount moment in my life. When you finally put on that uniform, do you like putting on your uniform? I did. The only problem was I looked like a popsicle with a big cloth hung over me. <laughs> we were called the spinners. Our uniform was gray with green trim. But what I loved and what I wanted so much was that hat that had the S on it. And then the classic, my name was written on the back of my uniform. That's good news if you do well. It's bad news if you don't. <laughs> so that's where this story goes. I was on a very good team, and the coaches had placed me in center field. I really wanted to play second base or shortstop, but I guess they thought I was maybe a little faster in outfield and not quite coordinated enough to play the infield yet. We had made it to the finals of the Little League Championship. 
and I know you're going to think I'm making this up. I wish my mother was alive here to verify this story. Uh, but follow me through the whole story, okay? We went to the game. The game started. I was in center field, and there were five innings. We were in the bottom of the fifth, and here goes the story, okay? We are up five to three, and there's a man on, well, a boy on first base. And I look, and to the horror and terror of all of us, Bill Blankenship was next one to bat. Bill was the home run leader, and every ball he hit, he hit with power and steam. And so here's when I became very religious. <laughs> Dear Lord, you know I do not need Bill to hit that ball to me. And then I negotiated. You also know, God, I'm going to give you some points here. I go to church every Sunday morning. And I also go every Sunday night. And I want you to put a star by this prayer because I even go on Wednesday nights. And since this is summertime and we just finished vacation Bible school and I memorized all 66 books of the Bible, you've got to hear this prayer. God, please do not let Bill hit the ball to me. That was my prayer. And I meant it sincerely. And so our pitcher pitches. Bill cracks the ball off of that wooden bat. Y'all aren't foolish. You know where the ball went. <laughs> There's two types of balls that can come to you in the outfield that are in the air. One is a pop fly. And if it was going to be anything, please be a pop fly. And the ball goes up high. You're able to adjust it and get under it and hopefully catch that one. Then there's one called a line drive where the angle is lower, it's faster, and it's dropping. And good old Bill hit that. And he hit it between center and left field. And so I started running towards the ball. The left fielder started running towards the ball. And as we both are running, I'm not thinking this, but I'm sure I was hoping it. God, you did hear my prayer. Bill cannot hit the ball to me. May the left fielder catch this ball. And as I'm running, he falls down. And I see that out of the peripheral of my eye, and I'm catching the ball. And this is where God's grace and love and mystery for a young little boy comes in. Because I'm telling you, don't you laugh at this, but I was about to pee in my pants. <laughs> and y'all laughed. Uh, no, so, no support. Father West, you're going to have a hard time with this group. So I, I now give it all I've got, close my eyes and reach out, and God placed that baseball in my glove. And then I tripped and fell on the surface. And as I rolled, somehow the ball stayed in the glove, and we won the championship. Now before you think I'm a hero, let me back up with the story just a little bit. We had people on the base every time I was, went up to bat. I went to bat three times in five innings. I struck out three times in five innings. If I would have hit the ball, that situation probably would have never existed. But it did. 
here's what I want you to hear. Sometimes, sometimes, in spite of all of your prayers and all of your hopes and all of your wishes, sometimes there is a better prayer answer. And you don't see it because I'm fixated on something else. Wow, does that immediately give us a paradigm to take and now bracket our Old Testament reading today. Because when, <clears throat> excuse me, because when we read today about Abraham, oh my, all of you in here would in no way want to take your child that you love and offer it as a sacrifice. So I've read that story several times. I even told Father West, I said, there's so much literature here. There's so much information. How, how do we narrow it down? So I'm not going to preach two or three hours to you, okay? But when I look at the life of Abraham, before we read a, um, Genesis chapter 22, we also read Genesis chapter 15. And the Bible says an interesting thing about Abraham. It said, God attributed his faith as his righteousness. And when I read the story about a father who wants a child and he's in his late 90s, his wife is in 90 and they're 100, and they are granted from God an answer to their prayer, and they have a baby boy named Isaac, I'm sure they loved him dearly and gave everything that they had. And a barren mother finally in her older years was able to have a child. How they loved and cherished this child. He was the heartbeat of all that they did. And yet God appears to Abraham and says, Abraham, take your son, your only son, and take him and sacrifice him to me. I, I really don't know how to hear that prayer from God. And if I ever heard those words from God, I really don't know how to assess those words. Because I'm almost positive if I look at the human experience of Abraham, just the human content of the scripture, he has got to say, God, are, are, are you serious? This is my child. You've just taken my heart and ripped it through my mouth and thrown it on the ground. How can I be obedient to God? How, how can I be obedient to God? But yet the scriptures tell us he is, not without pain, not without hurt, not without anguish. But he takes his son, and then he takes wood for the fire that after he sacrifices his son, he will burn his son. And then he takes his son and two slaves and begins a three-day journey where he will offer up his child. And I don't know how you think of this scripture, and I'm not sure how I think of this scripture, or even theologians do, but I'm believing with every step he takes forward, he's wanting to take two steps back. This is my son. God, please reconsider this. But yet he is still obedient. It's his faith that allows him to be obedient, that allows him to be called the righteousness of God. And he continues to do this. 
And he gets to the place and he identifies it. And if you notice in the scriptures, they said, where are you going? And he says, we are going over there to worship. And then he says something interesting. We will be back. That we haunts me a little bit. What faith? But we will be back. He could have said, I will be back. He says, we will be back. And he takes his son, and then his son asks him, Dad, where is the sacrifice? And he tells his son, you are. I also wonder about the life of Isaac. Did he try to run from his father? Did his father have to restrain him? Because the Bible tells us he binds him up. That means he binds his hands, his feet, and wraps his arms. And as he wraps his child, I'm not so sure if there's tears from his eyes. I don't know what Abraham was doing. I have no idea. But only from a human perspective of being a father myself, I know that that would be the most painful thing I could ever do in my life. And God would have to make it crystal clear and perfectly clear that this is what he wants me to do. So did Abraham have a prayer? Did he maybe have a prayer? God, do I have to do this? God, do I have to do this? I've just bound my son. God, do I now have to take the dagger? And as he raises his arm with the dagger in his arm to pierce the very chest and heart of his only son, God says, no, Abraham. No. And I'm sure along the way that Abraham had a prayer that was on and on and on, but yet God had a better answer. He had a better answer. Because through you, Abraham, and because of your obedience, because you have faith to the obedience of what I've requested, you are now righteous. Righteous meaning being in a good moral standing with God. And he became the righteousness of God. And then if we take that paradigm and we go to our New Testament reading in Romans, when we read Romans chapter 3, we see the Apostle Paul was saying, we are the righteousness of God. And that's made possible through 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where the Bible says, through the words of Paul, that he who knew no sin, meaning Jesus, became sin, that you, you may become the righteousness of God. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity on page 92 of his book says that there is within all of us a central part, a central part. And that central part is divided into two choices. One choice is that you can follow the will of God and be obedient to it, and that's the heavenly creature. Or you can choose not to, and he calls that the hellish creature. And we all know what that means. We all know that whenever we're asked to do something by God, we struggle with, yes, I can, no, I can't. If we are righteous in God through the works of Jesus Christ, we are righteous because of the work that Jesus did for us. And the faith that you have is the faith that builds you up. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the Bible tells us it's impossible to please God without faith. And I see in this room people of faith. All of you are people of faith. All of us are working to improve our faith. 
And as I look across this room, I see people who are the righteousness of God. And you are the righteousness of God because of the act of the love of God through his son, Jesus Christ. His obedience to the cross made him righteous before God. And then when you have faith and believe in the work that Jesus did on the cross for you, then you are the righteousness of God. You do not need to go around carrying the guilt of sin upon your back. Every Sunday, our priest will stand before us as we confess our sins to help that cleansing or remind us of the forgiveness of our sins that's cast as he's the vicar. Those sins are given to the foot of the cross of Christ. And when you believe and you have faith in the work that Jesus did, then you are the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God through the act of Jesus Christ by the faith that you have through his grace. You are the righteousness of God. Why is that so important? Because all of us as human beings struggle with that inner part of us, as we see C.S. Lewis say, is the hellish creature. There's no one in this room who doesn't struggle with sin and temptation. Absolutely no one. For our last verse in our reading in Romans was, for all have sinned. Except for, no, all have sinned. So since we all know that we are sinners by that which we are, and we pray to God and we receive by faith the work of Jesus on the cross, you are no longer seen through the eyes of God. That way you are seen as a righteous child through the work of his son, Jesus. You are the righteousness of God. And there's nothing more beautiful than when you see that. This clergy often gets that opportunity to see that when they're praying with people. So I'm going to close by sharing this with you. At the age of 20, the bishop appointed me to a um, church in Nashville, Tennessee. I was very honored to be there and also um, really green and young and very much a rookie. So I would preach the best I knew how and I would listen to other pastors and go to uh, seminars and so forth and study homiletics as much as I could, the art of preaching. And one Sunday at the conclusion of our service, there was a man of 78 years, 78 years, who came down to the kneeling rail and he knelt in prayer. So I went down to meet him and pray with him. And he looked at me and said, I have been praying for years for God to forgive me. And he shared with me a, um, a, a horrible, horrible, horrible thing that had burdened him for many, many years. And he said, when you talked about the righteousness of God today, I never thought God saw any good in me until I realized he saw the good of Jesus Christ and what he had done for me. And this man of 78 years allowed his heart to bleed through the tears of his eyes. And as he cried, I looked at him, I took his hand, I remember his hand so well. As I took his hand, and I placed my other hand on it. I just looked at him and said, praise the Lord. 
you are the righteousness of God through the work of Jesus on the cross. And he finally got a better prayer answer. Today, brothers and sisters, when our clergy and support allow you to come and partake of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, I want you to remember these two things. Number one, some of the prayers you've been praying, when you leave it here today, there just might be a better prayer answer. And number two, please do not get up from here without knowing that you are the righteousness of God. Amen? Okay, pray with me. Lord, I pray that you will take these words and anchor them within our hearts. And may your Holy Spirit truly inspire us. And as we come in a few moments to partake of the body and blood of Jesus the Christ, the Yeshua HaMashiach, may we receive you and know that because of what you do and what we receive, we are the righteousness of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.